And Lord, we know that these things are written to us not to scare us, but to prepare us. So Lord, we come with hearts of gratitude and joy and Jerry and Sandy being with us and, and Jim hearing the news that he's home and you're working in so many people's lives. But I also know that, Lord, that there are some that are here that perhaps there's a sense of, of, uh, of trouble in their hearts, uh, a sense of hopelessness, perhaps, difficulties, and that tonight, even in this lesson, that we would know that we have a God that cares for us and loves us and sees us. And, and you have a wonderful plan for us as we as believers belonging to you. So, Lord, teach us now as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 6. If you'll turn there, the last book of the Bible. If you need a Bible, there's some on the front platform. John has some in his hand in the back. But Revelation chapter 6 is what we're going to uh, try to finish tonight. We'll see how far we get with it. But as we opened up the chapter last week, you recall that that seven seal scroll that we saw in chapter 5, that heavenly scene, and Jesus would take the scroll from the one who sits on the throne from God the Father. And Jesus was the only one that was worthy to open up that seven seal scroll. And as we moved into chapter 6 last week, we only went through the first two verses. We saw that scroll that was opened up, and, and we saw the first seal that was opened up. Now, in chapter 6, what we see here is that the first six seals are going to be opened up of that scroll that Jesus took out of the hand of God the Father. And as we continue reading, we're going to see in the first four seals what is known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We're going to see the fifth seal, the sixth seal that is opened up. And then we're going to see this intermission, if you would, before the seventh seal is opened up later on in the book of Revelation. But keep in mind that chapters 6 through 19 tell us of that period that is called the tribulation period. And in chapter 19, uh, at the end of that seven-year period, formerly known as Daniel's 70th week. And if you weren't here for last week's teaching, we, we took some time. We went to the book of Daniel because the book of Daniel is called the forerunner to the book of Revelation. It gives us the very foundation of Bible prophecy. And if you don't understand the book of Daniel, the prophetic uh, things that are there in that book, you're going to be confused about the whole prophetic scenario that is given to us in Scripture. And in Daniel chapter 9, of course, we saw that the outline, the whole timing of, of what we're reading about is given to us there in Daniel chapter 9, particularly as we look at that, that uh, prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel, and we know that there's still a seven-year period that God is going to deal with Daniel, your people, that is the Jews, and your holy city, Jerusalem. And so it's very important that we understand that end-time prophecy is going to fit into that outline. If you don't, you're going to get all goofed up and mixed up in your interpretation of end-time prophecy. So you might want to review that. But we do know that this final week, right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, 
that the first writer comes on the scene, and we read, and I'll read it to you. Uh, let's read in verse 1 of chapter 6. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a, a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So the first writer that we saw, we identified as the one who is called the Antichrist. He comes riding on a white horse. He has a crown, so he's going to be conquering and the conquer. He is going to use peaceful means because notice here, he has a bow, but he doesn't have an arrow. It correlates with what Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 tells us, that the Antichrist, that he's going to make a covenant with Israel for, you know, one week, and it's probably going to allow the Jews to rebuild their temple because the Antichrist, we will see later on, is going to go into that rebuilt temple and he's going to set up an image of himself and he's going to proclaim the world to worship him. So the Antichrist, you know, uh, is, you know, taking center stage here in this period called the tribulation period. There are those who say, well, this is Jesus coming. It's a white horse. He's got a crown and he's coming in peaceful means. This is chronologically not the place where Jesus comes. He comes in chapter 19 and we know that the Antichrist, what's going to follow here, these other horsemen and the seals being opened up is going to be terrible. When Jesus comes back, he's going to usher in what? Peace and righteousness that shall cover the earth as waters cover the sea, as Isaiah tells us, and he will establish his kingdom. So that's what we talked about last time. This world dictator that comes on the scene is going to come out of, and Daniel very, very carefully and extensively is telling us that he comes out of that revised Roman Empire, the feet mingled with clay in chapter 2 in uh, the ten toes. We know that he's going to come out of the ten horns, a little horn out of the fourth beast of Daniel chapter 7. So Daniel spends a lot of time telling us where the Antichrist comes from. He's coming out of that confederation of kings that he is going to rule over, and he's going to be a, a military leader. He's going to be a political leader. He's going to be a religious leader, and, and he is going to be uh, on the world scene coming along and the world is going to turn to him and we'll see later on begin to worship him. So this is the Antichrist. The word Antichrist doesn't just mean against Christ, but he comes instead of Christ. And that's what we're going to see as we continue on. Daniel says he's going to be a great orator. He's going to be a greater speaker than Abraham Lincoln was or Winston Churchill or Ronald Reagan, the great communicator. He is going to come on the scene and the world's going to say, that's who we're looking for. That's who we want, which is really sobering when you think about it. People today, most of the people in the world, they don't want Jesus Christ. But we're going to see that a lot of people are going to turn to the Antichrist during that time when he comes on the scene. So... The rider on the white horse coming along, the Antichrist. And let's continue as we read in verse 3, the second seal. And he opened up the second seal, and I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to 
the one who sat on it, to take peace from the earth, and that people shall kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So I, I want to remind you what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, he writes, after writing about the rapture of the church, that we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the earth. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Notice the pronoun is we, we the church, we as believers. We're going to be caught up. There's going to be a generation of Christians that's going to meet the Lord in the air, what we call the rapture of the church, caught up. Harpazo in the Greek is the Latin word rapturus, where we get our English word rapture. So we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And then Paul continues writing, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, that you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Now remember that day of the Lord. You see that term in the Old Testament. You see it here in the New Testament. And we know that that day of the Lord is not just a specific day. It is a period of time. It begins in the tribulation period with the coming of the Antichrist. And it goes all the way through the tribulation period. Includes the second coming of Jesus Christ and the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. That is all the day of the Lord. When you read the Old Testament, it speaks about judgment followed by blessing. And here we see that the day of the Lord, he says that you know that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, you're not of darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So he changes the pronoun. He says, listen, you're not of the dark. You're of the day. And when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction is going to come upon them, and they shall not escape, which I find it interesting that Jesus, after talking about the signs of the tribulation period in Luke's narrative, he says this, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. What come to pass? Those things that he just talked about in the tribulation period and to stand before the Son of Man. So what Jesus is telling us, there's a way of escape. And the way of escape is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And we will stand before the Son of Man in that heavenly scene of Revelation chapter 5. And I am so glad that we are going to be there and not in this scene as the scene changes back to the earth and we begin to see that God is going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. We're going to see all kinds of things that takes place. So here we see that peace is taken away. Isn't that interesting? Uh, what peace there is today? There hasn't been a single day of peace in this world but we know that as Jesus, as he said, here's the signs. There's going to be false Christ that correlates with writer number one. And there's going to be wars and rumors of war. Kingdom against kingdom, that correlates with the second writer. Then there's going to be famine and pestilence that correlates with the third and fourth writer. And then also he would say that there's going to be earthquakes in various places. That's going to correlate with the sixth seal that we're going to see opened up. So you see the correlation here. There's a restraining factor right now that's taking place. But in the tribulation period, all these things are going to culminate. And here, peace is taken away. Uh, in the tribulation period, uh, we see that man will just about destroy himself. And unless those days be cut short, man would have destroyed himself, is what Jesus said. And I believe that one of the signs that we're in the last days, people say, well, Pastor Jeff, how do you know that we're in the last days? Well, we know that Israel is a nation now. 
has come back in the land. That would begin the end time clock, that we are in the last days. We know that there's going to be a false church on the scene in the tribulation, that Paul talks about that there's going to be a falling away, that people are going to be given to itchy ears, uh, and we see the very foundation of what is going to be a false worldwide church that will be on the scene during this time. We'll read about that later. But also we know that Jesus says that if those days had not been cut short, man would have destroyed himself. And we now have the capability that we can destroy ourselves. We know that we are in the last days because 100 years ago, 200 years ago, back in, in this time, the whole world wasn't going to die by the sword. The whole world wasn't going to be killed by musket fire. Over the last 20 years, on average... Globally, over $3 trillion per year is spent on weapons. There ha that's been the trend. That's, in case you want to do some math, is $8.5 billion per day. It's about $345 million per hour. That's $6 million per minute, $100,000 per second, that the world spends on military weaponry, on weapons. While we are gathered here tonight, all that, that is spent on military hardware, I read a statistic that one year of military spending could feed the entire globe for 100 years. And yet people, don't they blame God? They say, why is that happening? Why are they starving over there in this area? And why is this taking place? And why are they so poor? Uh, why does God allow this? It's his fault. No, the problem is man. Because man can't govern himself. There are 27 nations that have long-range ballistic missiles. There are over 66 countries with surface skimming missiles today, cruise missiles. Nine nations that we know of possess nuclear weapons. The United States, China, Russia, the UK, France, Israel, Pakistan, India, and North Korea. There's a debate whether Iran has nuclear weapons now or not. But we know that they are desiring to develop nuclear weapons. A little article that came out just a couple weeks ago on May the 23rd that it reads that uh, Fox News put out, as nuclear weapons risk escalates, debates grow about vintage U.S. arsenal. And I'm not going to read the whole article to you, but I'm going to read part of it to you. In this article, Fox News put out that the threat of nuclear weapons is what we read in this article being used is higher now than at any point since the conclusion of World War II. A top United Nations security expert cautioned this week, calling the matter an urgent one that requires global attention. We know that, again, those nations that have nuclear weapons are named here, and the United States and China and Russia uh, are believed to possess what is known as the nuclear triad, tri that is a three-pronged structure that consists of missiles that can be launched from land, air, and sea. A senior director for the Center of National Interests stressed that while many parts of America's nuclear arsenals are quite old and were designed decades ago, the U.S. clearly possesses the most advanced and sophisticated atomic arsenal on the planet. Washington's nuclear weapons arsenal is so powerful that it could bring an end to any nation on the planet in less than 60 minutes if it wanted to and kill billions of people in the process. That amount of power is almost impossible for the mind to fathom, but it is a reality. 
It is told to us that the United States has a five-time arsenal. What that means is, is that we can destroy the earth five times, just in case we don't get it right the first or second or third or fourth time. One Trident sub has 24 tubes, each with 15 10 megaton warheads. That's 360 targets. Now, one megaton is 50 times Hiroshima used in World War II. 10 megatons is 500 times Hiroshima. One Trident submarine has 40 times the destructive power than all the weapons used in World War II. That's on all sides. That's one sub. Folks, that's the world in which we live in. We know that, as I mentioned, Iran is desiring to, to develop nuclear weapons if they don't have them already. The debate in the intelligence world, some are saying they already have some. But we know that they have the sub-HAB-4 missile that has a range of t over 1,200 miles, and they would love to put a nuclear warhead on it. When you look at scripture, when you look at Ezekiel 38 and 39, Zechariah chapter 14, it gives us descriptions of weapons of mass destruction that is used very clearly. Ezekiel 39 gives a description of that cleanup of the wars as mass invasion is going to take place in the Middle East, which I believe could be the next major war that's going to take place. This stage is being set. We've talked about it. We don't have time to go into it tonight. But it talks about in the cleanup of that battle, which is interesting because it's the only chapter, Ezekiel 39, that talks about a cleanup after a battle that those who are uh, employed uh, are going to go and they're going to put flags by the bodies. They can't touch the bodies. That's what the military is trained to do if there's a nuclear or biological or chemical attack. They got to leave the bodies there. It's going to take months to clean up the land and to clean up the bodies and also seven years to burn the weapons. We know that Zechariah talks about that their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. That sounds like weapons of mass destruction to me. And then as we know that Iran, Iran also, the intelligent community is telling us that they and their missiles are sending them up in the atmosphere, uh, high in the atmosphere. You say, so what? What's the big deal about that? Here's the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. As they're sending those missiles high in the atmosphere, there's what is called um, the EMP. It's electromagnetic pulse. And this article came out in January of 2019. I'm going to read it to you. At a time when the military is starting to take the potential uh, for an attack on the national electric grid more seriously, a newly declassified report is warning of electronic world war launched by Russia, Iran, North Korea, and China that could wipe out North America, Europe, and Israel. With ease and using a primitive nuclear weapon, a new axis of those aggressive nations could black out the Western world, dismantle all electricity and electronics in water and food supply, and lead to millions of deaths in America. Nine of ten Americans are dead from starvation, disease, and so, uh, social collapse. 
the United States of America ceases to exist, warned the report declassified recently, decommissioned by U.S. Commission to assess the threat to the United States from electromagnetic pulse EMP attack. The report written by uh, EMP expert Peter Pry revealed EMP war plans drawn up by Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, and even ISIS. The nuclear EMP attack scenarios combine armed cyber warfare. Price said that the Russians have called EMP a revolution in military affairs. I'm not going to read all the article to you because I do want you to kind of sleep tonight. But Pry even suggested that a nuclear explosion in the atmosphere above Omaha, Nebraska could black out Canada and the United States and Mexico. He predicted that an attack would lead to damage too broad and too deep to repair, requiring years if the United States could survive for years. That's the world in which we live in. That death has come in this writer of the second writer. We know that it takes peace from the earth. In verse 5, as we continue reading, as we read about the third writer, the third seal, when he opened up the third seal in verse 5, I heard a third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a Daenerys, a Daenerys is a day's wage, three quarts of barley for a Daenerys, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And so as we read the third writer coming on, the Antichrist, first he comes on the scene with him riding his war and killing and destruction. And then the third writer, a black horse, and he has the pair of scales. The scale symbolizes the need to measure carefully. It speaks of a time of scarcity. A quart of wheat for a Daenerys, speaking of high, high inflation. A Daenerys, as I said, a day's wage would be spent on a loaf of bread. It is a time when life will be reduced to the barest necessities. It wouldn't take much to plunge the world in that kind of scarcity and inflation. If war would break out, oil refineries blown up, food supply storages are done away with, and you know, much of the world would go through very serious repercussions if that was to happen. It's hard to imagine as, you know, even today, we have so much food that is available. I read that where the average American family throws away enough food every day to feed a family of six in a poor third world country. You know, my kids, they used to go to the refrigerator, open it up, there's nothing to eat. And the refrigerator's packed full of food. We're just used to having a lot of food, not everyone. Because I have met those even in Greeley that they go to bed hungry. And they've told me how their stomach is, have hurt because they were so hungry. But for the most part, for us here, we, we're used to that. One out of every three people on the planet go to bed hungry. Every eight seconds, a child dies of starvation on this planet. During our service, about 630 children will starve to death. If farmers cannot plant food, then after a year, we are in big trouble. We have, for the most part, we have storage, but for the most part, it's a year of grain stored. Now, the world produces 1.2 billion metric tons of grain yearly. That is 
a highway that's 54 feet wide, six feet deep, that will circle the equator. And here during this time, scarcity is going to be where a loaf of bread is going to be a whole day's wage. And we know that later on in the book, it's going to tell us that unless you align yourself with the Antichrist, you're not going to be able to buy and sell. You're not going to be able to get any food. You're not be able to do that. And there's scarcity that has taken place. So in this, we see that uh, do not harm the oil and the wine, symbolic of luxury items. Nice things will only be available to those who are the wealthiest in the world. And in verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard in the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold, a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over the fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death and by the beasts of the earth. So this fourth rider comes. He's got a friend with him. It is death, and Hades followed with him. And these first four seals that are opened up by the Lamb, we see that a quarter of the earth is killed as a result of war and famine and pestilence and calamities. It's a lot of people. In the world's population today, we're over 7 billion people. That's about one point, you know, seven, five billion people that are dead after four seals are opened up. That is all of South America, all of Central America. That is all of North America and Western Europe. That's what the Bible says is going to take place in the tribulation period. The post-rapture world is going to be radically different and difficult than we can ever imagine. And so here, the riders coming, the, the famine, the pestilence, the Spanish flu of, of 1918, some of you perhaps have read on it, it killed over 50 million people. It was during that time of they say, actually end up World War II because so many of the soldiers died of it. And a lot of them died from World War I. There are some people in this country, it's documented, that they got up and in the morning, didn't have any symptoms of the flu. By evening, they were dead. That's how powerful that was, that, that flu that went through. And verse 8 says that the beasts of the earth, wild animals, will be a part of this tremendous death toll that this pale rider brings. They can't find food, the animals, so they go after people. We see a little bit of that even in Colorado. You know how there's a drought and the bears come in in the fall and they'll come into town and they're looking for food and, and mountain lions. And we're going to see that, that there's going to be a result of wild animals coming in and they're going to also cause uh, there to be a tremendous death pole. And then the fifth seal, the cry of the martyrs in verse 9 tells us when he opened the fifth seal I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held and they cried out with a loud voice saying how long O Lord holy and true until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth and then a white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed 
the fist seals, the cry of the martyrs, the souls under the altar emphasizes that their lifeblood was poured out as an offering to God. The idea is from Leviticus chapter 4, verse 7. He shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering. This is the cry of those who have been martyred for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Notice here, they were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. That is, they were a witness in words that were spoken but in their lives that they lived as well. Being a Christian includes living for Christ, not just in the world, uh, the words that we speak, that is, but living in the world, living for him, that we live for him as a living sacrifice. And if you and I, and we've talked about this, live for Christ in this world, we are going to be persecuted, even as it was Paul that told young Timothy that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There is more persecution that is increasing today against the Christians worldwide. And here, there are those that as they are crying out, and it is believed that this could be the cry of all the martyrs for God's truth, not just those who are persecuted, as we're going to see in the next chapter by, you know, the tribulation saints, by the Antichrist. People say, at least I've talked to a few, they'll say, what's this tribulation stuff? That's just allegory. It's just symbolic. You really think that's real? I don't think it's real. I don't think the rapture is real. I don't know if that's, you know, uh, really what the Bible is saying. And, and you know, if, if it does happen, then I'll come to Christ. And I think, how foolish. We're in the day of grace. And if you can't live for Christ now, how are you going to live for him then when it is so difficult? When it's going to be so hard, when those tribulation saints that we're going to see next time are going to be persecuted for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Give your life to Jesus now. Give your life to him. And then the sixth seal, as we see tonight as we finish up, that I looked and he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and hair and on the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a tree dropped its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll then uh, when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth and great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks in the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the land. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Absolutely amazing, isn't it? The sixth seal here quickly brings cosmic disturbance. The sun becoming black as sackcloth and the moon becoming red like blood. We read about that in the Old Testament as it describes the day of the Lord. Those are terms connected with judgment, the coming of Jesus. Christ. We see that in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Zechariah, and even Jesus himself would say that in the Gospels. There will be in the tribulation mentioned here in Revelation three great earthquakes. This is the first one. And as we read about it, it's not just a local 8.6 
uh, earthquake that some say, oh, it's just a local, you know, earthquake. This is an earthquake that we know that is going to cause to where it tells us that every island is going to be moved, mountains, you know, removed out of its place, islands out of its place. This is something that is major. This is major geologic upheaval and disturbance that has taken place. So what I think that's saying here is islands are, are removed and mountains as well, that perhaps that maybe the earth is going to rotate on its axis. You know, before the flood, it is believed that the earth was upright and there was a firmament and that's why there was a tropical-like environment around the earth and, and there's fossil records for that. They found fossil records of tropical plants in the Antarctic, in the Sierra Desert. They found a mammoth, you recall, up in the, in the Arctic Circle that had vegetation in its mouth. So something happened very, very quickly. And we know that during the flood, that as the waters came from underneath the crust of the earth, it says, that that's very possible. What took place is then the continents began to split apart. And as they did, then as they stopped, there was a bunch of upheaval and there was the mountain ranges that were formed as those continents stopped, those te tectonic plates. It, it's very fascinating to read about. So the earth rotated on its axis to where we have seasons now. So could it be that the earth is going to rotate on its axis during this time and we're going to see great geologic upheaval? I think it is. As we read this. You know, scientists say not to bore you with, with a lot of the details on it, but they say the earth is in a wobble. <coughs> that every few years, you know, so many years that the earth kind of wobbles. Well, there's going to be a big wobble on this one. And there's going to be a major earthquake and geologic upheaval, then cosmic disturbance. And this is what amazed me, and this is what I want to close with here tonight. What amazes me is the sky recedes as they're hiding and they can see the one on the throne. They see the one on the throne, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich man, verse 15, commanders, the military men, every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves <coughs> and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That absolutely amazes me. The sky is going to recede like a scroll, and they're going to see the one on the throne. And they say, hide us. Instead of repenting and calling out to him. And it tells me of, of the hardness of man's heart. So as we read this, I know that this isn't easy to, to read as we read about these things. But again, it has something for us tonight here. That this world is not our hope. And I just want to say, if there's anybody here that you're hiding from the Lord in any way, in any area of your life, don't hide from him. But you call out to him. And you look to him because he loves you so much. And he desires to do an incredible work in your life. He wants to show you his love. He wants to grow you. He wants to work in your life to where you experience that abundant life that he has for you. Don't 
hide from him. And there may be, maybe just somebody that might be here tonight that you're hiding from the Lord. You know that he's dealing with you with something or some area and you're hiding. You're ignoring. And I would say you call out to him. And he's speaking to you tonight for you to come. And who is able to stand is the question that is asked. Only those in Christ Jesus listen. And again, I pray as we read this and we look at the rumblings all around us that point to these things, the Lord is coming back. And there are people that we love very much, even as we talked about last week. Remember that I talked about it was Jeremiah, that, that he, when he saw the destruction of Jerusalem, he warned the people for 50 years. Jeremiah is on the scene, and he's warning the people of Judah, of Jerusalem. And he says, judgment's going to come, judgment's going to come. And they would not turn to the Lord. And when the destruction came upon Jerusalem, he said, summer's over, and the harvest is in, and we're not saved. And there are people that we care for and love that are out there that when the rapture of the church happens they're going to say summer's over harvest is in and we're not saved people that we care for and love very much and that's why I hope and pray that we would be ones that we would have a desire to see them come to Christ and share with them the gospel and pray for them and reach out to them. And for all of us to know, listen, folks, let's not live for the world. We're in the world. I understand. We got jobs. We got businesses. We got things that we're going to enjoy doing this summer. I get that. I'm going to do things, you know, that I enjoy this summer. Uh, I, I can't wait to get away for a little bit. But I do know this, that this world is not my hope. And we got a short time left. And there's a whole lot of people that I know in my life and in my family and people that are linked to me that they don't know the Lord. And I want to be available to tell them the gospel and to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. Let's not just turn inwardly and it's about us. But let's look to others that we can give them Hope, the only hope that there is, the gospel, the gospel, because we are in this time of grace and the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to hear the voice come up, come up hither and we will all be together. But in the meantime, we want to just focus on the Lord and come to him. And we're going to come to the communion table tonight because, as I said, we read these things and I don't read those articles so that you lose sleep tonight. I read those articles because it tells us of the world that we're living in. But we come to the communion table knowing that we belong to him and what he did for us. And we belong to a kingdom that will last forever. And let's just continue to be in that attitude of worship and, and just thankfulness that, Lord, we do belong to you. And that we're going to be with you singing that new song that we saw in Revelation chapter 5. And Lord, as I hold the cup and the bread, remembering your body broken and your blood shed for forgiveness of sin, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you have done. So, Father, we do. We come tonight, we, we read these words, and we went over it fairly quickly, but, man, it's amazing <clears throat> what your word declares to us, consistent throughout the scriptures, that there is a time of darkness but we are not children of the night.
we're children of the day. We're not children of dark, but children of light, that this day should overtake us. And so, Lord, I do want to pray if there's anyone here tonight, you've never come to Christ. He is your hope and salvation. Will you come to him? He died for your sins. He rose again. He is Lord. And he's going to come back. And so if you're here tonight and you don't know if you're right with God, we're going to give you an opportunity. Get right with him before you leave tonight. Don't wait because that's the tactic of the enemy for you to wait. I'll decide later. It's the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Jesus is Lord. And he created you. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to save you. Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins. And he rose from the grave. He's alive. And there's no one else or nothing else that can save you. Only Jesus. So today is the day of salvation. Will you come to him? And you can pray right where you're sitting. Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me on the cross. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me. And I thank you for the living hope that you give to me. And I thank you for this new beginning. And I can have the assurance that you're going to take me home to be with you. And I do want to live for you, and I want to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for bringing me here tonight, for hearing this message in Jesus' name. But listen, and then we're going to go to the communion table, and then we'll close the service. Maybe you're here tonight, and you're hiding from the Lord. Maybe you're hiding some sin. Maybe you're hiding from him generally. Maybe you're all, you know, pursuing the things of the world. Maybe you're sleepy, lethargic, sluggish spiritually. Will you just right now say, Lord, I, I don't want to hide from you anymore. I want to cry out to you. I don't want to live for the world because the world's got a disastrous end. I don't want to be sluggish. I want to wake out of sleep. So, Father, help me. And, Lord, forgive me for being complacent, pursuing things that don't matter, things that take me away from you. And, Lord, trying to hide my heart from you because you know my heart. You know it better than I do. So, Lord, I come to you tonight to reaffirm my love for you and my desire to walk with you and to know you. And as I come to the communion table, as the rest of us, to give thanks to you that you allowed your son to come. You gave him freely. He allowed himself to go to the cross freely and his body was broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin that I can belong to this new covenant a covenant of sacrifice and love. Thank you so much, Lord. And thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name.